0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keenom, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is January the 17th, 2024, New Year, old subject. Uh, And old friends, Uh, more than a couple of years ago, we had the very distinguished, Greek uh, economist, polemicist, politician, Yanis Varoufakis on the show to talk to me about alternatives to techno feudal capitalism, which is his term. At that point, he'd written a novel, another now, which allows us in classic uh, fictional terms, po- polemical fictional terms, to imagine a better place. Agency then is manifested. In fiction, or at least in science fiction, uh, Yanis, though, is back, and I'm not sure if he's still quite as optimistic as he was. He has a new book out, which appropriately enough is called Technofeudalism What Killed Capitalism. Uh, uh the book's just out in the US, it came out late last year in the UK, and Yanis is joining us from his home in Athens, uh, Greece. Uh, Yannis, have you given up with the idea that we can change everything?
1: Andrew? I have always been a pessimist who doesn't give up on hope, because optimism is the poor cousin and the stupid cousin of hope. So I'm forever hopeful, but if you put a gun to my head and you ask me to predict the future, I will refuse to do it, because we have a moral duty not to predict, because unlike meteorologists whose job is to predict the weather, because the, the weather doesn't give a damn about what we think about it, and it will be whatever it will be, when it comes to society, we create a future. So we have no moral right to predict. We have a moral duty to act.
0: So how did you get, and of course, as a writer, writing is a form of action. So you went from this uh, science fiction uh, polemic, another now, to this more traditional analysis of our current reality, techno-feudalism. How did you go from one book to the next? Because you're, you're writing about the same phenomenon.
1: For me, it's seamless. Uh, even the, hard, the hardest of hard-nosed economic theories are tales. They're stories that we tell one another to try to make sense of the world. If you look at Adam Smith's Wealth of Nation or Karl Marx's Das Kapital or Keynes's General Theory, uh, there is theory there, there is uh, analysis, but at the same time there is storytelling. And there are different ways of telling a story. You can do it in terms of, you know, a Star Trek-like science fiction novel, which is what I tried to (laughs) to write in another now, Uh, or you can then take another look at the same topic, at the same dilemmas or trilemmas that we face as humans, and sit down and say okay folks look that story i told you before uh, is based on this analysis of where we are of the great transformation that we've lived through without even realizing it and the fact that we have like like people before us in towards the end of the 18th century uh, they lived on the cusp of the transformation the great transformation of feudalism to capitalism and i'm trying to explain my rather strange hypothesis that we also live on the cusp of a great transformation, from capitalism to what I call techno-feudalism. So rather than going forward, perhaps we're going back. The
0: title has a lovely title, techno-feudalism, what killed capitalism. It comes with um, some nice words from your friends Slavoj Žižek, a Balkan philosopher, uh, eccentric one, um, who of course has always mixed fiction, and fact fiction and polemics are so you doing that in this book um it has almost an agatha christie like title what killed capitalism is the heart of your narrative yannis since you're telling stories is the heart of the narrative a murder what killed capitalism is of course it's not who killed capitalism not a single individual
1: what killed capitalism mm-hmm. Well, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yes, I s- suppose I am. I'm trying to create a thriller um, because thrillers are gripping. And also because I think we are living through a thriller. Uh, look, it's it's a very, it's, it sounds like crazy hypothesis. Uh, but that's what the, bo- the book is based on, the conviction, not just a hypothesis, that capitalism is dead and we haven't even realized it. And the reason why it sounds cra- sounds crazy is because wherever we look, wherever we look, we see the triumph of capital. But that's the delicious irony embedded in the book, that capital like a virus that went haywire and mutated into a very toxic form. I'm so sorry about that. It's techno-feudalism, Yanis. Yeah, Yeah, techno-feudalism. It probably (laughs) is. Let me just switch this bloody thing off. I'm so sorry, I thought I had it off. So, shall I take this again? Yeah. Okay um okay
0: so we're talking we about a murder Three. a murder of te- a yeah. feudalism yeah. but rather than a single individual it's what a system a group of people a, a a number of things that killed capitalism so as you say yeah the narrative is the end of capitalism what killed capitalism and what you're trying to do in uh, in 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 the book is is figure out what who who murdered it. There is of course, Yanis, a, a, a wonderfully rich irony here. You're a man of the left, self styled. You write as a man of the left, one of the few men of the left left in the world. Um, we been we or people of the left like yourself have been trying to ca- kill capitalism now for two or three hundred years. We've always failed. And now, as you suggest, it's almost been killed accidentally without anyone noticing. It's a perfect narrative for Agatha Christie, isn't it?
1: Well, I'm glad you think that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. I always try to write books that grip you somehow. And thrillers do this very, very efficiently. Uh, look, the, there are two, two angles here uh, regarding the the whole posture that I take as a writer in in writing this book. The first one is that... You know, everybody talks about artificial intelligence and big tech and Zuckerberg and Elon Musk about what all these technologies and uh, conglomerates are going to do to us in the future. Well, my argument is that it's already happened. This is something that has already happened, not something that artificial intelligence is going to do to us. My point is that capitalism is already dead. We don't even know it yet. It it was unnoticed by us while it was happening, but in a a, a sense this is not too dissimilar to what people in the 1770s and 1780s went through because feudalism was dying all around them and they hadn't noticed until capitalism got a real grip a hundred years later. Uh, The other angle is that um, in in this book, uh, as a lefty, you put it very nicely, uh, I feel defeated. Uh, My generation of left-wingers, my father's generation of left-wingers, uh, we failed spectacularly. We thought that we had come to this life, to this planet, uh, with a mission to upend capitalism, and we failed. Uh, instead, what has happened is that capitalism has spawned uh, a new mutant form of capital that has been so successful, so triumphant. It destroyed trades unions, it destroyed the left, it destroyed Our states, our governments, it has taken over effectively. But it became so potent that, like a stupid virus that kills its organism, its host, it has killed its host, which is capitalism, and it has replaced it with something which is far worse. Because, as a lefty, uh, we all, as leftists, we all uh, remember the very poignant question that Rosa Rosa Luxemburg put to us from her cell when she wrote in one of her notebooks that the question is, barbarism or socialism. Socialism or barbarism. It turns out that it is barbarism, but it's a very particular, technolog- technologically advanced, uh, exceptionally interesting form of barbarism, the one we're living through, which I call technofeudalism.
0: So as you say, capitalism has been killed, but we don't know. We haven't caught up with the world. We haven't caught up with reality. That's a, an interesting narrative in itself, Yanis. Um, we're... We're still in the dark, to borrow from one of your famous Greek philosophers. Is that fair? You're We, we don't understand the world. Is that the, the, the core message? Because you're not everyone agrees with you. I mean, a lot of people, even who you would expect to be sympathetic, like Jacobin Magazine, suggests that um, we're still living under capitalism because capitalism has always been the thing that has defined the left. Um, Uh, uh, Is this a book designed to wake people up, to shake them, to take them out of the cave?
1: Well, every book should be doing that. (laughs) That's the whole point of writing a book or making a movie or creating art, isn't it? Uh, The the point you made about us living in the cave in the dark, the platonic cave, uh, is poignant at every point in time throughout human history. Humans have always been trying to catch up with reality, always trying to not predict the future. Anybody who tried to do that, it was a fool. Uh, But to come to grips with things that have already happened. So this book does that as it should do. But the, 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 the interesting question is whether this is indeed a discontinuity, a singularity a change of regime. Now, you mentioned Jacobin magazine saying, no, no, Jens, come on, you say a lot of interesting things in your book, but this is still capitalism. Look, Andrew, I always knew that my hardest audience, the hardest room that I would address would be my fellow Marxists, my fellow left-wingers. Because, as I said before, uh, we of the left feel that we came to this life in order to defeat capitalism. There comes Varoufakis and says, you know what, capitalism is already dead. So what's our purpose? Uh, It will be very, very hard to convince uh, committed comrades of mine that um, it is time to let go of the word capitalism. We grew up with that. It is the enemy that we live in order to fight against. It will take uh, a revolution, an intellectual revolution, to convince fellow left-wingers that uh, it is useful for the left, it is useful for a Marxist analysis, it is useful for, for any progressive for that matter, even, you know, a L liberal, to understand that this is no longer capitalism. Now, of course, it's a question of definition, isn't it? What exactly do we mean by capitalism? But let me hark back to the end of the 18th century, when Adam Smith was writing, effectively, his textbook on capitalism. Uh, you know, intellectuals back then could have decided that uh, they will not re- refer to the new socio-economic mode of production and distribution as capitalism. They would call it something like industrial feudalism. You know, Andrew, it, wouldn't, it, it would not have been wrong, instead of using the word capitalism, to have referred to the new system as a kind of market or industrial feudalism. But it would not have helped humanity grasp the great transformation that this is no longer, even though it contains many feudal elements, capitalism did, it is no longer something that is a continuous, a, a, an extended continuity of what was going on before. And I think that today to understand, for instance, to understand the new Cold War between the United States and China, to understand the uh, serious problems we have making the transition to a, a green mode of production and distribution, to understand why did Elon Musk purchase Twitter, to understand uh, why is Volkswagen, the you know, German car, uh, in serious trouble, compared to BYD of China or Tesla. And unless you make this mental leap from a way of thinking about the world as a capitalist world to thinking of it as uh, a new socio-economic mode, something like I call techno-feudal. I mean, you, you can call it something else. We don't have to, to be fetishistic about the word techno-feudalism. Call it something else. But it has to be something different from capitalism. So as to energize our thinking, to think of this very novel and radically new way of relating to one another and to our technologies uh, in ways that are up-to-date, to put it very bluntly. It's ironic. We've only got
0: our words, uh, Yanis. Um, and you use this word techno-feudalism. You note know that uh, late 18th century economists in making sense of the market also referred back to feudalism. So everyone seems to look back backwards. Marx suggested, of course, in his Brumaire that um, we always borrowed the language of the past because we don't have the words to make sense of the future. Did you struggle with this term, techno feudalism? The concept's interesting, but it—the term itself—might be seen to be some as, as as problematic. This idea of going back, when in fact we're going forwards.
1: I never claim that we we're going backwards. Techno feudalism is a stage beyond capitalism, which was a stage beyond feudalism. Uh, the you know epithet techno um changes the term in a way that makes it possible for us to be now of course i did struggle with the term i had another term but i thought it was a bit what well, was too smart for um uh, for, for my, to my own liking the because you see the, the point i'm making is that capitalism gave rise to a new form of capital which i call cloud capital which is a profoundly different form of capital to every other kind kind of capital we've had before. And it is this cloud capital, which acted like the mutation that caused the great transformation into what I ended up calling techno feudalism. And the new ruling class are the owners of this cloud capital, whom I call cloudalists. So I toyed with the idea of calling the new system cloudalism. So feudalism capitalism cloudalism uh, but I uh, I decided not to go with that it sounded as I said it was too smart by half <laughs> and uh, you see the other reason is not so much that I chickened out it is because the word feudalism captures a very essential characteristic of the world we live in that the you know you going up top or your phone to go into amazon.com or uber or airbnb and so on. Um, you exit capitalism and you enter a kind of digital fiftum that belongs to one person or very few people who enclose you, who surround you with a digital wall, a digital enclosure. Inside that enclosure there are many buyers and many sellers, many people doing things, uh, they're enclosed by the cloud capital of the owner of this cloud fiftum, digital fiftum, who extracts from them rents. So every time in Amazon.com you purchase an electric bicycle or or a pair of binoculars, uh, you pay some like 20 30 40% of the price to the owner of this digital fiftum, who owns a form of capital, which is not a produced means of production like a steam engine or an industrial robot. But it is a produced means of behavioral modification. That's what you know. Alexa does. Siri does. Amazon.com does. It modifies our behavior, and it encloses us in a kind of digital space that belongs to a latter-day feudal lord, a cloudalist maybe, an owner of that particular kind of cloud capital, who then schemes off, on the one hand a very large percentage of the profits of the vassal capitalists that work within that digital space to sell their stuff. And also, they extract free labor from us. Because with every review you post on Amazon, with every search you make on the Google search engine, with every post in Facebook, with every video you upload on TikTok, you are contributing directly through your labor, your unpaid labor, to the cloud capital of the owners of that cloud capital. And that is unique in the history of humanity.
0: As you say, our brains are being uh, asset-stripped. In an odd way, Yanis, in thinking in, 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 in terms of the history of economic systems, is it a return to autarky?
1: No, not, not in the slightest. Because uh, Amazon is uh, a truly globalist conglomerate. Amazon could not work without globalization having preceded it. Uh, you, we do not have the capacity to ring fence our countries, our communities, and for those to become a kind of cloud victim. The power of the cloudless, of the owners of cloud capital, is that they have a global reach. And within that global reach, they create on the cloud or in the cloud, in the digital space, in the cyberspace, they create their own global fiefdom. Think of Airbnb.
0: So but I, I take your point on geography, but has the physical 18th century state been turned into the the Amazonian or the Apple fief or, or the Google fiefdoms of the 21st century?
1: Except that within the digital fiefdoms of the 21st century, you're not even a subject. You're certainly not a citizen, but you're not even a subject. You're only a resource and an asset to be stripped by the owner. In other words, you have even fewer rights uh, under techno feudalism than you would would have had under feudalism. At at least under feudalism, you could uh, petition your Lord, (laughs) and be heard occasionally. Today, this is simply impossible. You enter one of these digital freedoms and the algorithm on behalf of the owner is matching you to individuals, whether they are sellers or other users, in a manner which maximizes the rent extractive capacity of the owner of the algorithm. And that's it. You are not a citizen. You are not a subject. You are a little bit like in the matrix in the movie you know the human humans who who turned who had been turned (laughs) into batteries or um solar panels providing energy and heat to the system in this case the system being cloud capital
0: the world has become in reality a science fiction dystopia at least according to yanis Varoufakis. Uh, he knows what killed capitalism. It's techno-feudalism. Um, I want to remind everyone that this high-quality conversation and guests like Yanis Varoufakis are brought to us by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Maybe not quite as far left as Yanis, but certainly an interesting publication. I'm going to run a short feature on Liberties. And then we'll be back with for Varoufakis to talk more about techno feudalism, what killed capitalism, and what might come after capitalism, where our agency might lie in shaping the future. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas, it's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens, politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Yanis Varoufakis, the author of Technofeudalism, What Killed Capitalism. In the first half, Yanis, you talked about Rosa Luxemburg, of course, who was involved in all sorts of inter debates on the left in the beginning of the 20th century. I wonder if some people might think you've gone a bit soft here also as a man of the left. You seem more concerned in some ways with the end of the liberal individual. Isn't that something that should be welcomed? Certainly uh, Luxembourg's great foe Lenin would have actually welcomed that. For, for somebody like Lenin, he might have actually believed that technofeudalism, to borrow some language from the left, represents the last crisis of capitalism.
1: Well, Lenin lived at a time when uh, the Russian revolution that he was an agent of had not failed yet. (laughs) A hundred years later, we are uh, on the losing side of history. We uh, are also guilty of having created the Gulag. So, our great revolution did not create the free socialist man and woman, but instead created uh, the sentries in the gulags and whole populations in the Soviet Union and outside that failed to be motivated enough either to resist Stalinism or even to resist capitalism when Stalinism collapsed. So, uh, I do believe that leftists have to be humble about 100 years of failures and a hundred years of spawning illiberty. because you see, the only reason why I'm a Marxist, Andrew, is because I'm, I'm a true liberal. I believe the only way of becoming free is to liberate ourselves from extractive power, whether that extractive power comes from a dictator who uses the state or, um, you know, Zuckerberg or Musk uh, to be a true liberal you have to believe in, that's what I this is my conviction, in uh, the social ownership of the means of production, whether the means of production are steam engines, industrial robots, or indeed, um, artificial intelligence and algorithms. Uh, but because of your own take, or the, your own magazine's take, the way I understand it from the little I know, allow me to to, to make a point which I think will appeal to your audience, to your audience. Take somebody who has been celebrated as a great liberal and libertarian. Friedrich von Hagek. I remember, many years ago, I was privileged to listen to a lecture that he gave uh, at the, where was it, London School of Economics, University College, somewhere in London. And I remember he he, he, was a great talk he gave, he walked inside and he started telling us a story about the morning that he had had, he said, this morning I went to a shop and I ended up buying something I didn't know I wanted. And his whole point was that this is the brilliance of the market and the great weakness of any centrally planned economy, that we don't even know what we want. We discover what we want as we go along. We discover our own capacities to produce and to innovate as we go along. So if we do not know what we can do or what we want, or what our desires are, how can the state know? Therefore, his conclusion was, leave it to the market, because if the the state, even if it's run by very well-meaning socialists, they will end up doing things that are illiberal by definition and detrimental to efficiency, productivity and so on and so forth. That was a, a devastating criticism of us leftists, especially given the failure of the Soviet Union to innovate and to cultivate freedom think of it from today's techno feudal perspective. Firstly, it is not true that there doesn't exist a centralized mechanism that knows what we want. I don't know about you, Andrew. But you know, when Spotify recommends music to me or Amazon.com recommends books to me, uh, it's usually spot on. I enjoy the books that Amazon recommends to me when I read them. uh, And I really love the music that Spotify suggests for me because it knows me. The algorithm knows me better than most of my friends, or even I know myself. So Hayek would be aghast, number one. Number two, the market... Hayek would be aghast because we can
0: no longer stroll around and look in shop windows and figure out for ourselves what (laughs) we want. The algorithm knows us better than ourselves, so it knows what we want. So the freedom no longer exists, or at least that Hayekian freedom.
1: Well, also, he would, see, he would see those algorithms as Stalin's uh, um, revenge. Because you know, if Stalin had access to these algorithms, you know, then Gosplan, the central planning system of the Soviet Union, uh, of the Ministry of Planning, would have probably made a much better job at providing uh, goods and services to people that they wanted. And the second reason is exactly what you said, that the market is gone. The moment you enter Amazon.com, you exit the market. Amazon.com is not a market. It's a trading trading platform, and there's a huge difference. And Hayek would be the person that understands it better than Marxists too. So you see, this is why I'm a Marxist, but I'm a very... Some
0: people might be listening and saying you're a
1: Hayekian. Well, I've learned a lot of stuff from Hayek. But listen, where did Marx get his economics from? he got his economics from Adam Smith and David Ricardo. And indeed, if you read very carefully Das Kapital volumes one, two, two three, and the theories of surplus value, not once is he criticizing Adam Smith. Not once. He takes the whole model of Adam Smith. And David Ricardo does not dismiss it as the thought of bourgeois thinkers. He thought that they were bourgeois thinkers. But what he did was to say, well, well look, they're, they're thinking clearly about capitalism, but they, they have not taken their own thinking to its logical conclusion. So he added his theory of the wage. And from there, he got surplus value. From surplus value, he got his theories of the business cycle of recessions and the falling rate of profit and the, the, the great tragedy of capitalism. But we Marxists must remember that our found the founder of our philosophical school of thought, of Marx, learned from his ideological opponents and treated their thinking with immense respect. I do that with Haggik. I learned a lot from Haggik. Actually, I learned a lot more from Haggik and Friedman than I've learned from many Marxists over the last four decades.
0: Janis, is is there a a nostalgic element in your book? You, You I don't know if you formally dedicate it to your father, but you write about your father, your hero in a way, a man who was able to work his eight hours at the factory and then carve off the rest of his life to his family and his interests. You look back at him and that world nostalgically, you suggest that that no longer exists. Um Is there an element of nostalgia there? Can we go back to the world of your father where we worked eight hours a day in a factory we didn't really care about or for people we didn't really care about and the rest of our lives were completely independent of our employer, of the state, of any formal ideology?
1: I think a liberal, uh, you know, a a, a liberal democrat pro-capitalist should be nostalgic. Because the whole notion of the liberal individual that the right wing liberal has uh, is now gone. It's it's finished. Now you have algorithms that are causing you to work outside any limits that demarcate your working life from your non-working life. Uh, young people are constantly struggling to imagine what Google wants them to be like because they want a job with Google, so they spend Every time they post something on TikTok or uh, on Instagram, they imagine that uh, the recruiter from Google or from Facebook or from any large corporation is going to be uh, looking at their social media profile. So they are trying to invent and to manufacture the self which Facebook or Google would want them to have before they hire them. That is a tyranny. That is a tyranny that any smaller liberal or larger capital liberal uh, would... um, Um, would denounce. I do not look to the past. I am always nostalgic because I believe I'm a romantic, okay? But I don't believe that progress comes from going backwards. I believe that progress comes from going forwards. Uh, And, you know, my uh, (laughs) uh, imagination uh, is replete with the idea that these very technologies, which are now forging our shackles, our mental shackles and our physical shackles sometimes, they can be put to use in order to liberate us from chores, from drudgery, from work that is soul-destroying. I'm not a laborist. I don't want uh, miners to be mining two kilometers, two miles uh, underground so as to get a job and to get some pleasure out of having an income and uh, the sense of community that miners have. I appreciate that. I respect that. But I would like machines to be doing all the chores, all the work, and for us to be you know, in a kind of digital agora, having philosophical discussions, or even better, to be exploring the cosmos in star starship enterprise i so, want to get
0: on. i want to get to that about how we can get to that uh, ideal, or some people might think of as a utopia but the more we talk janice it sounds to me as if the, the heart of your book and your narrative is the death the death of capitalism and in an odd way you seem to be almost
1: mourning it i always mourn things that have passed I believe that, you know, we are, if you think of our body, our body is, our DNA is full of um, extinct species. So in our DNA, we still have bits of serpents that don't exist anymore or bacteria that have been merged with our DNA. Now, I don't want to go back to a world where I was a bacterium, okay? (laughs) But I acknowledge... Who
0: does? I don't think anybody does.
1: I acknowledge... Even the most extreme conservative doesn't want to go back to that. Indeed. I acknowledge what has been. I mourn its passing. But I am also a Greek, which means that I enjoy tragedy. I enjoy the mourning. And from the mourning, from the grief, comes optimism. Comes not optimism. I have to correct myself. Comes hope for something better in the future. And a great thirst for creating it. Because that's what really makes us alive. So how are we going to get there? What
0: you're describing in Techno feudalism is maybe another way of describing it is techno totalitarianism where everything is controlled where we no longer have a private life it's digital stalinism um how do we get beyond this do you fall Uh, the the end of the book comes up with some some fixes is it a regulatory issue these all-powerful um all-powerful feudal companies, the Amazons, the Googles of the world, do they simply need to be regulated or split up? Might that be the solution?
1: No, that will never work. (laughs) That is going backwards, Uh, going back to the New Deal, going back to uh, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, you know, what Roosevelt did, Theodore Roosevelt did with Teddy Teddy Roosevelt. What he did was um, quite remarkable and very brave, uh, but it was Technically, simple to do with Standard Oil. Standard Oil was a monopoly in every state. In most states, um, you simply had to break it up and create different um, geographically separate companies, which then competed in each other's backyard. Uh, but there's no way you can do that with Amazon.com. There's no way you can break up Amazon.com. How are you going to do that? The whole point. Well, you point could
0: split it, it. You could split it into web what? services and the. The the e-commerce store, a lot of people have suggested that.
1: Yeah, but that one is not going to change anything. Amazon.com, you know, the e-commerce is still going to be a techno-feudal entity which extracts huge cloud rents from the people who enter it. And then the Amazon, uh, you know, cloud services will be the same thing. Um, Facebook, what do you do with Facebook? Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp are intimately con- connected. If you break them up, WhatsApp either will have to start, start charging people for, for using it, and then it will not become be competitive with Viber and others. No, I just don't believe that the technology is a... Okay, so we can't so-
0: regulate. So, Yanis, that's the old way, that's the new deal, that's mm-hmm. FDR or Teddy Roosevelt. What do we do? What can we do in terms of manifesting this agency. You suggest as a Greek you enjoy the tragedy, but Greek tragedy always has a, a moral at the heart, which is a, like a reminder acid. of human agency.
1: Indeed. So my answer comes in two parts. The first part is that we need to have uh, new property rights. Uh, a new, And the second part beyond property rights, that includes a digital bill of rights where your data belongs to you, your identity belongs to you. At the moment, it doesn't. And the second thing that that needs to happen is a a new corporate law. uh, Where, for instance, and that will sound bonkers to a lot of people, (laughs) uh, imagine a situation that's the basis of my science fiction novel that you so kindly mentioned before another. Now, imagine you have a law which is really very simple. Uh, Anyone who works in a corporation, has a single share of that corporation, which operates a little bit like a library card at college or university. University, you enter, you enroll at university, you get a library card, and that allows you to use the library, to use the computer services and the facilities of the university, of the college. And then when you leave, then you hand it over. It, it is no longer valid. You cannot sell it, you cannot list it. Imagine if shares were like that, and at the same time, data and identities, digital identities, belonged to the people that uh, they were assigned to or that they were connected to. Suddenly, this whole techno-feudal order would collapse, and instead, we would have something much closer to a techno-democracy. The difficult question is not how that would work. I I think I've mapped it out quite meticulously in another now, and also in the last chapter of techno feudalism. The question that I don't have an answer to because it is an answer we must all create collectively through a political democratic movement, is how do we get there? How do we defeat the huge power of cloud capital? Because let us face it, we no longer have a public square where we can have a discussion. Elon Musk talks about Twitter or X as that, we know it's not. We know that the algorithms belong to the new the new ruling class, the cloudalists, uh, and they are primed to poison the conversation. And they are primed to destroy the possibility of um, a demos that can deliberate in a manner which leads to action that is consistent with the interests of the many. That is the great conundrum that we're facing as humanity.
0: Final question, Janice. You've been very generous with your time. Yesterday, we did a show with an American journalist, Nick Romeo. He has a new book out. Everyone's really covering the same ground. His book's called The Alternative, How to Build a Just Economy. Uh, Romeo uh, spent some time in Europe in particular looking at alternative models to, he doesn't call it technofeudalism, feudalism but the, the, the current monopoly capitalism of the 2020s. He sees some models where things are actually changing. For example, cooperative systems in Spain. For you, are there, I mean, all all this is quite speculative uh, and science fictional, but are there models out there, for example, cooperative systems or what the Danes are experimenting with in changing the rules, the laws of corporations? Where can we look to actually find concrete uh, avenues for getting us out of our techno-feudal uh sell, if that's the right way to describe it.
1: Oh, there have been some very very intriguing and interesting ex- exciting experiments. You mentioned one, I'm not familiar with the particular author that you interviewed yesterday, but I suspect that he talks about Modragón, which is a yeah. whole area uh, where, um, where land and capital is cooperatively owned. What I alluded to before, the change of a corporate law which uh, gives one share, one vote to every employee is uh, that experience writ large uh, through a very simple change in the legislation. Uh, Even in the 19th century, you know, Robert Owen in Britain um, created non-capitalist functioning communities. The problem is... that Marx,
0: Marx wasn't very keen on Owen, was he?
1: And he was right. He was right because in the end, capital can always absorb these spaces, these capitalist free spaces uh, because it has the power of the state. One of the great myths of neoliberalism is that it's supposedly against the state. No, it's not at all against the state. <laughs> neoliberalism needs the state, it always strengthens the state. Every time a neoliberal is in government, whether that was Margaret Thatcher or Reagan, when they left, they left the state bigger, more indebted, and with more coercive powers than they founded. Uh, and if you think of Thatcher, this is a very good example. Uh, there was a bank, I used to live in Britain at the time, there was a bank called the, the Trustee Savings Bank, which was a cooperative. It had been a cooperative for 100 years. In What does that mean? It means that it was owned by anyone who had an, a bank account there. So it didn't matter if you had one dollar or a million dollars in your bank account, you had one vote and you were a, you know, a shareholder. Equal shareholder of the TSB, and it was a very successful bank. It went on for more than a century. And what does Thatcher do to prove the point that Karl Marx was right? He comes, al- she comes alone, and gives an order to privatize it. And her team tells her, um, prime minister, "We cannot privatize it because it's not state-owned. It is owned by these people." So what she did? What, what does she do, cunning Thatcher? She nationalized it. And the next day, she privatized. it. This is why, on the basis of voluntarism, you can have brilliant examples of how society could work very well, and very efficiently, without hierarchies, without concentrated capital ownership and property rights. But that is not going simply to evolve out of capitalism, because concentrated capital the ruling class that owns that capital, especially now cloud capital, uh, effectively control the state and the state will always usurp any attempt to spread the limits of the cooperative sector to such an extent that the owners of capital will be jeopardized.
0: It's interesting you bring up Thatcher. um, Romeo's book, The Alternative, is a play on Thatcher's argument that there is no alternative to her model. And, of course, uh, Yanis, you are saying there is an alternative and uh, history hasn't ended and will never end. Is that a fair summary?
1: I've written about this before. I've said that uh, I reject Thatcher's Tina, there is no alternative. And I am a great believer in Tatiana, that astonishingly, there is an alternative.